Have you checked out the Somebody You Love Patreon yet? For just $3 a month, you can get every episode without ads and you get them a day early. For $6 a month, you get all of our bloopers and behind-the-scenes action. For $10 a month, you get monthly bonus episodes. And for $20 a month, you also get the bonus episodes as videos. You can cancel anytime, and when you sign up, you get access to everything that we've posted so far. We also have annual subscriptions where you save 10% and get one month free. Patreon.com slash somebodyyoupod, as in podcast. You do have to type in the URL because Patreon hides 18 plus creators from the search, so you most likely won't be able to find us by searching. That's patreon.com slash somebody you pod. Welcome to Somebody You Love or The Sale of Two Titties. I'm Jenna Love and I'm Holly Hart and we're experts in disappointing our parents, breaching community guidelines and banging the people who vote against our rights. Before today's episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. I'm recording on the land of the Ngunnawal people. And I'm on the land of the Darug and Gundungara peoples. Today, I, Jenna, will be um, our guest, essentially. Holly's going to interview me a little bit. Um, and I just wanted to acknowledge that what I'm going to talk about is the way that I tour and how I do things and how I've come to do things over a few years of doing this. It is definitely not a how-to guide and it's definitely not reflective of everybody in the industry who does go on tour. I feel like it may be useful for uh, clients to gain some insight and for for non-workers to gain some insight. But I think for workers, like it might be valuable if you are already a touring escort uh, you may be like, oh, I'll take that little thing that Jenna does or, oh, why does she do it like that? The way I do it's way better. But yeah, I just would say it's not a how-to guide and a lot of the things I do I'm able to do because a lot of the privileges that I have within the industry. But I'm just going to share my experiences and that's all we can do. Okay, touring queen, how do you decide <laughs> where you're going to tour? So when I decided that I was going to give touring a go, uh, this was, I think, towards the end of 2017. No, I think it was in 2018. I don't know. It was a few years ago. I decided to do one tour to a number of cities around Australia. So each of the capital cities and then a couple of others. And I just thought I thought I'd give each of them a go and see what happens. As we've covered on the show, I do love a spreadsheet. I do love data. Um, so I got, I th- sort of did that over, I think, a six-month period. And then I sat down and I looked at which of those cities I uh, made the most profit, which of those cities I made the most money, like income and profit, and also which of those cities I had the best time in uh, and that I most kind of wanted to return to because I think that's a really important factor, particularly in the work that we do. So, for example, one of the places that I, I made quite decent money, which was higher up on the on the earnings, I actually had a really crap time. I just had a string of not very pleasant clients, nothing dramatically awful, just not particularly pleasant. And I was like, well, I made okay money, but I don't really want to go back there. Like that just doesn't appeal to me. So that got crossed off my list. And then another example, there's a city that is quite expensive for me to get to. I don't need to be vague about it. That city is Perth. It's quite expensive for me to get there because it's a long flight. And so the profit I make when I go to Perth doesn't tend to be as high as other cities, but I have a really great time there. I've just lucked out and got some really great clients. So I continue to go there. So for me, it is about where I'm going to make the most amount of money slash, you know, how I'm going to be feeling when I'm there, how much I'll enjoy it. A great example is Adelaide where, and this is the thing, the laws play into it quite a bit. So the first time I went to Adelaide, which is in South Australia, where sex work is essentially criminalized, I cried every night. I was incredibly stressed. My screening was a lot more heightened because I was I was worried that I was going to be, you know, the subject of a sting, which is not very likely. 
because of my aforementioned privileges, but it still can happen. And so I I turned away a lot of clients because my screening was really strict. So as a result, I both had a bad time because I was stressed off my tits and I didn't earn that much money because I was turning away a lot more work than usual. So that was really low down in my list. Fast forward a couple of years later, I fell in love with somebody who lived in Adelaide and then that changed everything for me because I was like, well, you know, for one, now I've got somebody who lives nearby who can bail me out, worst case scenario. Um, Just knowing they were around made me feel a lot better and obviously I had more desire to go there and spend time with them. Then we broke up and so now I don't have the desire to go back there again. So yeah, there you go. That's how I decide where I tour. How do you let people know uh, where you're touring or when you'll be in their city? So I have a system. I have a a two-stage system, but COVID forced me to to turn it into a three-stage system, which is that the first step is that I let people know who have already paid me money and that I'm holding on to deposits for. And that's uh, that's the COVID step that had to be brought in. So everything going according to plan, (laughs) lol, Next week, which actually will be last week when this gets released, I'll be in Perth and I have deposits that people paid me at the beginning of 2020. So I've been holding on to their money for two and a half years uh, and a couple of them. They are keen. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really generous and lovely of them to have said, yep, just hold on to the deposit until you can get back here. I've tried a few times. As we all know, the last couple of years have been a ride. So obviously the first people I had to contact when I announced the the Perth tour was those people who I have money from. Um, So I want them obviously to have the best opportunity to book in. The the next step is I have a mailing list, so and that's organised by city. So I contact everyone who is in any of the cities that I'm announcing a tour for, and then uh, so they get the first kind of opportunity to book in after the people with deposits, if that's a thing. And then finally I'll announce it publicly, which for me normally I just announce it on my social media. You can announce tours on a lot of um, advertising websites, but I always forget to do that. I'm, uh, I tend to not really use advertising sites too much and, and just rely on social media. So, yeah, it's a three-step process for me. <laughs> so it doesn't really work to text you, uh, you know, just every few months and say, hey, when are you coming to my city? <laughs> Is that not an effective? It's not very strategy? effective. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't right. suggest that. I mean, okay. in in my case, like some people, some workers will have like their regular tour cities. Some will have places where they're available to go by appointment, sort of thing. Like they, mm. you know, they're happy to kind of go there if requested. On my website, it says where my regular places are, and really anywhere else, someone's going to have to pay for me to get there to inspire me to go there, if that makes sense. And that, I mean, that happened a couple of years ago. Somebody uh, flew me out to their city. Uh, sorry, I drove actually, but they paid my travel costs for me to go to their city. And I was like, okay, great. I was completely open with them and said, well, I've never toured this city before, so I'm going to turn this into a little tour and obviously didn't make them pay for all of my travel costs then. Um, and then that was an opportunity for me to scope scope out that city and I did not do very well there at all so I haven't been back but yeah if somebody wants me to come to their city and it's not on my normal roster they're gonna have to pay me more than other people do. (laughs) What do you look for in tour accommodation? Yeah so this is a big one like finding like I tend to book in my accommodation before I announce my tours, partly because now that I've been doing it for a few years, in most of the cities I have a regular place, so I want to make sure that place is available, but also because it's really tricky to find places that are workable and it does depend on the laws in each, you know, depending on how kind of strict the laws are, that, that factors into how difficult it is to find an appropriate place to work from. So for me, I don't like staying in hotels. I really like to have a kitchen and a laundry where I stay. 
In fact, it's not that I like to have a laundry. I cannot stay somewhere without a laundry. And that's mostly Mm. because of my squirting. I've covered this a million times on the show. But, you know, every booking that I do, I go through at least three towels and one sheet. So Mm. I like I can't rely on a hotel's housekeeping for that. It just wouldn't. Yeah, it would not work out. Even just thinking when I used to work from a hotel, I used to find it, uh, you know, I I worked in a hotel often that had a dryer, uh, what do you call it, a washer-dryer combo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it washed, didn't dry. No drying would take place. It could be in there for hours and hours and no drying would happen. But I would see at that stage uh, several clients a day probably on par with what most touring workers do because when you're at the accommodation or when you're paying for it, you want to maximise how many bookings you do and make it worth your while. Uh, and and even the towels and sheets that I would go through, I would have this big pile and then I'd have to jam them all in this suitcase and get them all washed and dried at my home for the next day to take them back to the hotel that I'd go back to. So even imagining what it would be like for somebody like you who squirts that much, uh, yeah, I can't imagine how you'd leave. You'd have to run to a laundromat or have yes, some sort I, of like yeah. it just wouldn't be viable for your business. And and then what? What if you had housekeeping? Would you just pile like 11 towels and well, be like, yeah. I don't and know. And they'd I'd be like, like, why are these 11 towels soaking and smelling like sex? Yeah. Like it's pretty. Yeah. Mm. And I know, I think, you know, maybe for work, because a lot of workers do stay in hotels. And I think if they are lower volume, which we generally uh, mean to say they're seeing fewer clients, if they're only seeing one or two a day, then then that's probably a lot easier to manage. But yeah, Yeah. I just, yeah. And same as you, like I bring, I bring two suitcases normally, I bring three bags and one of them is is pretty much just towels and sheets because, yeah. yeah, I just have to. So, yeah, I've got to have a laundry and I've Hell got yeah. to have a dryer that fucking works because, <laughs> as you've experienced, so many dryers just don't. So one thing for me is when I'm, like, looking through pictures of the accommodation, I will, if, if I can see a picture of the dryer, I'll Google it and try and work out, like, what, oh, yeah, like that's a, that's a big so factor funny. for me. <laughs> t- like I've gotten to places where the dryer has been terrible and then I've just had to bring clients in and I have had like towels laid out everywhere and I've just been like, sorry, the dryer's not very good. And I mean, that's fine. It doesn't affect their experience, I guess, but it do- it's no. not as nice if they walk in and there's laundry everywhere, you know. So yeah, laundry, massive one for me. And the other one is, yeah, kitchen because I I find it it's very, very easy on tour to just order delivery all the time, particularly for me because where I live we don't really have much in terms of food delivery. So whenever I go to a city, I'm like, oh, my God, I can order everything. So I get very tempted. So the way I do things is I put in a Coles click and collect order on my first day or for my first day so that when I arrive in the city, I can go pick up my order and then I've got stuff to cook for the next few days. Um, And that's, I mean, it's just more sort of sustainable and it means I'm eating proper food that will actually get me through those few days rather than just eating junk, which is very tempting. Very disciplined. I am, but you have to be because yeah. it's it's hard on your body. And, like, the first day of eating junk is great, mm. but then the next few, you know, it's not. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of clients sort of probably not clients who listen to this podcast because they would be very understanding of of what is involved in our job, but I think people who maybe don't, think about it, don't realise that when a sex worker travels out of their home city, they go all the way somewhere else. They So they do the travel part, whether that be driving or flying, they get all the luggage there. They check in, they get the room ready with whatever they need to do their hair, do their makeup, and then see, I don't know, two, three, four clients of an evening. Then, you know, they, they clean all of that hair and makeup lingerie off and clean the room and have a sleep and get up the next day and see five clients, six clients, maybe more, and do the whole thing again just how exhausting that is. Like I think people vaguely might be aware of it, but I think when you really think about it like that, it occurs to you how important that sleep is, how important nutrition is, how important staying somewhere with facilities is because you can't just duck off in the middle of the day to go and do some laundry or, you know, you can't really afford sleep-ins to sleep in half the day. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on you to manage your time efficiently. Mm. And it's fair. I mean, you know, we've got options, obviously, like we could take fewer clients. But as you said, once you've you've got all those costs – you know, there's this, once you're there on tour, the pressure that you put on yourself yeah. to earn as much money as possible is huge because you go, well, I'm I'm spending yeah. money to be here. I could be just sitting at home, but I'm not. So while I'm here, yeah. I may as well 
be earning money. Like that's, it's literally the whole point. And not just the financial factor, but as you mentioned a couple of days ago, the emotional factor too. When you've got pets and and a partner at home, you think, well, if I'm going to be away from all of my family, I might as well work while I'm here. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, I can see how the nutrition factor is very And there's a guilt element Um, that comes into that too. Like anyone, you know, if you're away from your family, you sort of feel like, well, it shouldn't have to be this way, but I can't help but sort of go, well, I need to be earning good money here because I'm sacrificing the time away. I think these are normal emotions. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I had a lot of guilt um, when I first became a sex worker in general about, I wouldn't say guilt, but maybe just feelings of um, shame about the job. And my whole thing was that I'd better be earning a lot of money because if I'm going to have this reputation or if I'm going to, you know, and I think that that's just natural human emotions when you, um, you do have some sort of guilt or shame associated. And obviously I don't feel that with the job anymore, but definitely when you're leaving your loved ones or when you're putting yourself in stressful situations or your loved ones in stressful situations, you think, well, fuck, I want to be rewarded for it. Uh (laughs) And I think it's probably normal for anybody who uh, runs their own business is that there's that thing of no one's going to earn the money for this business but me. So the bottom line is either I take these extra bookings or I don't and the money doesn't come in and and it's completely down to me. And I think especially when you're newer to the industry, it's really hard to make that call. I'm now a lot better at going, hmm, I'm okay. I don't need to take on that extra one because that's going to screw me up tomorrow and then I'm not going to be as good tomorrow and all all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that go into, into that. A lot of feelings. Uh, The final thing, that is really important in tour accommodation is working out how the client is going to get to your room. And this is really, really tricky. And I mean, this applies to people looking for in-calls as well as, as just tour accommodation. But anybody who has stayed in hotels in the last few years will probably be aware that the, the security is increasing. It's really rare to find these days hotels that do not have or service departments, etc that do not require swipes for the lifts, which means that you can't just go straight to someone's room. They have to come down and swipe you up. Now, if you're a sex worker, particularly if you're a sex worker in an area where the work is not fully decriminalized, then you don't want to every couple of hours be going downstairs and have the hotel reception see you picking up a different Mm -hmm probably man most of the time and taking them back up to your room because it's pretty fucking obvious what's going on there, right? So if you are going to be staying in a place that means you have to go down to get them, then obviously you want it to be kind of discreet. You want the elevators not to be in full view of reception, but a lot of the like fancy hotels, they're very in full view. Ideally, like you want to have an intercom so that you can – a video intercom as well so that you can see that the person who has arrived is who they said they would be and that you can let them up into your room. Now, I know like I'm pretty sure Airbnb used to have a search function where you could filter properties based on if they had an intercom or not. They don't have that anymore, Mm. which I say this as a joke, but I'm sure it's real is whorephobia. Like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly why they've taken that function off. I can't think of any other reason. Couldn't imagine any other reason. So I'm pretty sure that's just blatant whorephobia. But so what I do, (laughs) again, is I scroll through all the photos and I zoom the fuck in on everything and I try to see if there is an intercom. And if I can't see an intercom, and particularly if I can't see a video intercom, then that place gets crossed off the list. So it's not foolproof because who knows if that intercom even works. But based on the pictures, mm. I can usually tell if there actually is one. They're, they're my three big things, and there's, there's a lot of other factors. For me, I always get two bedrooms and two bathrooms, which is – that's incredibly privileged. Like that's something that every time I book a place, I'm like, yeah. oh, I really don't Luxury. need to have a second bedroom <laughs> and bathroom, but I'd really like to. And that's so that I can have like a workroom and a sleep room so I can decompress at the end of every day. And because I always need to go to the loo when the clients are showering and I can do it in front of them and I have done it in front of them, but it's kind of nicer if I can just quickly go do a wee while they're showering. So, yeah. How do you schedule everything? I know you are a an organisation freak um, and I have seen before pages of... <laughs> 
the the broad outlines of how you schedule things down to the minutia of detailed uh, scheduling. So yeah, how do you how do you plot out a tour? Uh, yeah, good question. So one thing I I always do is that my on my day of arrival I will only take one maybe two short bookings so either one bigger booking or maybe two shorter bookings or no bookings at all. The other thing I often do is I actually often arrive a day before I say I'm arriving and I will contact. Oh, you heard it here first. I know, secrets. Um, <laughs> but I will contact some of my really good regulars in that city and say, hey, I'm actually coming a bit earlier um, because then I know that the first person I'm seeing is somebody that I know, that I'm comfortable with, that I like, that I maybe know isn't too too physical in their demands or mm. in, in what we tend to get yeah. up to. So it means that my first day is like I know it's going to be a positive experience. I know it's not going to be too much stress. And I, I know because I'm somebody who I've got to manage my stress and this is why I'm a big scheduler. So some people might be able to get off the plane, get in and just and just get stuck into it. But for me, I find traveling incredibly exhausting and dehydrating. Mm. Then I've got to get into the space. I've got to set it up how I want to set it up. So I always leave like three or four hours before my first booking after arrival, whereas I know a lot of workers will just get straight into it. But I want, yeah, I want to pick up my groceries. I want to get everything set up and I want to work out if I've not been to that location before, I've got to work out the instructions, how clients are going to get to me. I, I do little tests where I like walk around the building. <laughs> trying to, I'm just a bit, yeah, I'm a bit over the top. But so that's my plan for the first day. And then for all of the other days, my personal imposed maximum amount of booking hours in a, during a tour is eight hours in a day. I usually prefer Ooh. to do six or seven, but I, I do eight occasionally. And that, so yeah, that's face-to-face booking hours. And you touched on this earlier, Holly, because, so you've got to take into consideration all of the time in between the bookings. So I, I also try to leave myself an hour for lunch and an hour for dinner. Um, so I, you know, properly get to actually sit down and eat something and have a little break because when you have, if you leave half an hour between bookings, that is absolutely mm. no downtime. That is yeah. getting one client out. That's getting everything in the laundry, resetting everything up, touching up your makeup, having a shower yourself, getting everything reset up, and then letting the next client in. Like you don't you don't stop if it's a half an hour between your bookings. Mm. So I always make sure I've got an hour for lunch and dinner. And ideally, usually an hour and a half, because that means I can properly, like I can put something on YouTube and I can properly have a little moment. But yeah, so like an eight hour day, like that could be two four hour bookings, or it could be eight one hour bookings. It could be 16 half hours, which I would never, ever do. That would be absolute torture. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It just sounds like a day at the brothel. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be doing that. Thankfully, the booking system I use, I just have limits on it. So once it gets to that eight hours, I can't accept any more bookings. So that's good because that helps with my, oh, maybe I could squeeze another one in brain. I should be working, you know. I just can't because the booking system won't let me. So that's good. But, yeah, like if we say I'm started, say I yeah do eight hours starting at 10 a.m., obviously you've got to start getting everything ready at like 9. Then there's all the time in between the bookings. Then the last one might finish at like 11 p.m., then I've got to clean everything up, get everything in the laundry and whatever, maybe sort of done by midnight. Then you're so wound up from a day of being really on and really present and invested in people. It's so hard to get to sleep. So, you know, yeah, often my my tour days are, you know, 12 to 15 hour days. And that's not like I do have breaks in there, but they're they're pretty exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And then for me, a lot of people also will – take a booking like the, the day that they check out, like they'll just take an early morning booking and then leave. I don't do that because again, my fucking squirting, God, it's a headache. I can't like put wet towels in a suitcase and go, you know, I've, so I clean up everything on the final night and then in the morning I just get up and go to the airport or to my car if I'm driving. Tell us about how clients can make touring workers' lives easier. There's lots of different things. Before even getting to the tour point, I would say a big one is is paying deposits. Again, not every worker is the same, but for me, deposits are absolutely essential on tours. Uh, my rule actually since the day I started touring was that 
I would not leave for a tour if my costs hadn't all been covered by the deposits I'd already received. So that if I got there and every single client had to cancel, I wouldn't be down out of pocket. Again, that's really, I'm very lucky that I've always been able to do that. Uh, not everyone is able to do that. And, and a lot of workers have to rely on fewer bookings in advance than that. But you know me, I'm a little anxious bean. I need everything planned in advance. So uh, yeah, being being comfortable paying up deposits is really important because we are outlaying costs. So yeah, we've got to spend quite a lot of money. We're usually booking a place uh, in terms of accommodation that's that's a nice-ish place. So it's not cheap and we don't want to get there and then suddenly not get any bookings. So yeah. In terms of when we're actually there, it's important to be aware of time. And I mean, this applies to clients of, of all sex work, but I think it is it, it, just that little bit extra important when we're on tour is arriving on time and leaving on time. You know, we are, as we've covered, we're there to make money and it's all about the money to us. Sorry, sue us for doing our jobs. <laughs> so, you know, we often have shorter turnaround times between clients. Like I would never leave half an hour between clients at home, but on tour I do. So we we do need our clients to be cognizant of that. We need them not to arrive too early because then we've got someone loitering around. And then again, if there's hotel staff or reception, building management, and they're just seeing man after man arrive looking nervous, loitering around, mm, worse. they're going to, you know, they're going to be like, oh, it's probably that new woman who checked in the other day, you know, like they can, they can put two and two together. So if you do arrive somewhere early, you know, wait around the corner or whatever. Reading the instructions carefully is huge. As I said, uh, you know, I go to a fair bit of effort to make the instruct to try to make the instructions really clear. I'll be like, this is the address. There'll be like this sign to your left. When you turn to your right, you'll see this. Because a lot of these places are bloody rabbit warrens. Like, where was I? Um, in Adelaide, actually, there was a place I stayed at. And I felt like I was giving clients like a treasure map. Like it was, they had to go down so many freaking (laughs) corridors to get to me and they were all really well natured about it. But I sort of, I warned them. I was like, okay, it seems like a lot of instructions, but you'll get there. Trust me. Um, So following those instructions carefully, we've talked about this on the show before, but I can't tell you how many people have not followed the instructions and then ended up lost in a building somewhere, unable to escape from the fire escape because they haven't, you know, they've thought, oh, this this sounds like a better way to go. Or they snuck in behind someone. Stuck in a lift is the biggest one. They've snuck in behind someone at the entrance. They've not buzzed the intercom. And then they get to the lift and they're like, oh, no, I can't get up. I'm stuck. This lift is going up and down and other people are coming and going and I can't get to the worker and that's because you didn't read the instructions which said that you needed to ring the intercom. One that has only happened to me once was a client, but I have heard of it happening to other people, was a client went to the, um, I was staying at like service departments and they went up to the reception and said they were here to see Jenna Love. Oof, Obviously my mm. room is not booked <coughs> under Jenna Love because, <laughs> sorry to break it to you, that's not my name. It's not the name of my credit card. So, yeah. So, obviously, they don't know who the fuck that is. And if you then – like, by that point, I've given the room number. So, if you go and say Jenna Love in room blah, blah, you've just completely outed me. Like, that's unacceptable. Thankfully, like, they called up and let – and I said, yeah, yeah, let him up. And it was all fine. And I've stayed there since. So, that went swimmingly well. But, yeah, obviously don't speak to staff about what you're doing there. Like it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of clients walking past and, and, and being asked by reception and they're like, oh, well, I, I said I'm here to see someone. Just don't. Just say, no, no, I'm okay, thanks. No, yeah. no worries. I'm good. I'm good. It's all no worries. 
you know, yeah. you don't have to answer questions. They're, they're not the police. You don't owe them anything. And, and I mean, the whole thing is if you look confused and you're loitering, then you've already fucked up. Like yeah. follow the directions yeah. as you've been instructed. Or as I guess I do when I go to an out call and I go to a client's hotel, I walk straight in and I'll sit down somewhere discreet and I'll look like I'm meant to be there. Just open a book, open your phone. You know, if you're looking around nervously, of course, reception's going to say, hi, who are you here to see? What can I do for you? Um, and I've had people before, sometimes reception when I've gone to out calls, have been like, oh, can I help you? Do you need anything? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. That's it. They're not really interested in your whole life story and what you're doing there unless you make it seem weird. And yeah. Then they might get sucked totally. if you're being a weirdo. Yeah. But generally they don't care. They're just doing their job. Yeah, you're spot on. We do the same thing with out calls. Like I'll sit in my car and and read through any instructions I've been given and make sure I've got them in my head so that I'm not having to wander around and constantly check my phone and look weird. And, yeah, I do exactly the same as you. If I've got to wait, if the client's got to come pick me up, I just stroll straight in, sit down on a chair, look like, you know, look like I'm just Mm. going to a day at the office or whatever, like confidence. And another thing is just to think about if you're going to be bringing gifts, which as we always say are not essential, but if you do want to bring gifts, just think about the logistics if the person you are seeing is touring. I've received a number of big bouquets of flowers and I've just had to leave them behind because I can't take them on a plane. And that sucks because the flowers are beautiful. And I'm like, wow, that was really nice. And these are lovely, but I like I just can't take them with me um, or something really heavy something fragile. I have a friend who was given like this kind of sculpture thing, like a porcelain-y kind of thing. And she was like, well, I've got to get on a plane now. Like, (laughs) you know, um, I think she did manage to get it back unbroken. But just just thinking about stuff like that is a good idea. Also, just be really nice to us. Thanks. And bring tips. Who misses free and affordable ads without all the anti-sex rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists based out of NAM, Australia, who have a specialised understanding of the complex challenges workers face and are dedicated to providing solutions to amplify their voices. Assembly 4 was founded on the belief that impact is more important than profit. They strongly believe that having the ability to make decisions about our bodies and sexual lives is a fundamental human right. Anyone should be able to make these choices without fear, violence or discrimination. Sex workers are still fighting for this right. Trist.link is a directory that lists thousands of independent adult entertainers, escorts, BDSM, kink, video, massage and much more. They also have a huge amount of educational resources and blog posts about the sex industry that are well worth a look. Check out their website assembly4.com, that's for the word, not the number, for more info. Uh, do you get much time to see the sights when you tour? No, definitely not. We get asked this a lot and we get a lot of people who are like, oh, you're coming to blah, blah. You've got to see this. So you've got to do that. And we like the one that's really frustrating is when we get suggestions for things to do around the town from somebody who hasn't even booked us. Mm. You get that a lot. People are like, oh, you're coming to my city. You should do this. And oh, they do the best coffee here or whatever. And you're like, cool thanks like great but I mean yeah as we've said we're there to work and I know that there are some workers who will kind of tack a tour on the on the start or the end of a holiday so there will be a holiday component but generally that's not the point of us going to these cities as we've talked about there's that kind of guilt factor there's the money already spent factor like I'm not going to waste the time I've spent on that hotel by going out sightseeing when I could be earning money in that time. And even for workers who don't make sure they're – like I only accept pre-bookings on tour. I don't take any bookings while I'm there. But for those who do, if they leave the hotel and then they get a message saying, oh, can you, you know, do a booking in half hour, they're like, mm. well, no, I've just left now. And like so they sort of – it's shitty, but they sort of feel like they've got to stay waiting in the hotel, basically, if they are wanting to get more bookings. Because you know, it's like that thing of if you light up a cigarette, the bus will turn up. Like, you know that the second you go, oh, I'll just go for a walk around the city is when all the everyone will want bookings, <laughs> you know. So, mm. yeah. When you order pizza in the brothel. 
then yeah, somebody yeah, would turn exactly. up. Yeah, the worst. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we're there to work. We're not on holiday. Um, it's really hard work. I'm not complaining about that. I enjoy it and I like doing it that way. It suits me to have a really full-on few days and then I come home and play the PlayStation for a few days. But, yeah, it's not a holiday. We're not there for for fun and for lols. Um, and we barely have time to catch up with each other. Like every time you go to a city, there's always a bunch of workers that you know in that city mm. and that you want to hang out with. And it's so, you know, so often we just don't even have time to do that. We usually see the airport, the inside of a taxi or an Uber and the inside of our accommodation. And that's it. Our misconception for this week is one that I did not realise so many people thought and I'm kind of blown away by, is that sex workers can't say no, that they can't say no either to clients or to particular services or bookings or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's very obvious that we do say no and that we have a pretty strong set of boundaries. Uh, I think brothels maybe is where a lot of this perception comes from because the establishment has a set of, of sort of rules of what you offer, which usually are limited to about three things, which is massage, oral, and sex. Uh, outside of that, what you wish to do and not do is pretty is pretty wide um, within the laws, obviously, and within the rules of the establishment. But yeah, it's it's pretty flexible, even in a brothel. And people who make you really uncomfortable, generally, you're allowed to say no to. Uh, I think there is without going into all of the the trouble of brothels, there are a lot of situations in brothels that I have heard of and experienced and witnessed where people have been, I think, coerced is probably the right word or pressured into spending time with people that they're not comfortable with or people who who they don't want to see. So that's that's pretty shitty. But generally, sex workers have the right to consent to any sex acts uh, anywhere. And, and I guess it just comes down to their preferences and sometimes to their level of comfort with asserting themselves in those, uh, mm. in those spaces. Uh, consent is, is such a complex thing and you can consent to one thing one day and not the next with the same person or under a different circumstance. Sometimes you enjoy one thing sexually and you just don't another time. It's, it's really not that straightforward, but basically no means no no matter what your job is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would go so far as to say that often sex work scenarios have more clearly outlined boundaries and rules of consent than civilian encounters do. I think that this kind of idea that we are, you know, selling our bodies and that our consent is being bought is really ridiculous because we have lists of things you can and can't do. We have strict times when this begins and when it ends. We have, you know, we have rules, we we have screening and everybody screens, including people working in brothels or on the street. It's just that they're different types of screening. And yeah, like, I mean, it, it does get into a murkier world when you are in a position where somebody else is managing you or somebody else Mm. is kind of somewhat responsible for your income like that that is a different story but I think that's a different question that's that's I don't think that's the same thing that we're discussing necessarily and it also gets into a murky area when when money's tight and when when you have fewer choices right obviously Mm. you are less likely to say no to something if you need the money and that's a reality that exists in any industry. It's not a nice reality. It's a bit gross. But it is certainly not the case that sex workers can't say no. I say no all the fucking time. Like, I, you know, the mm. amount of clients we reject, which, again, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. We both are. But I don't think yeah. people realise how many clients we we just say, no, nah, no, nah, not seeing you, <laughs> not seeing you, not seeing you. Yeah. Like, and then how many things they ask and we say, nah, not doing that, not doing that. Yeah. Oh, maybe that, but yeah. it's going to cost you. You know, like, I mean, that's yeah. we have all this negotiation going on that often is not taking place in sexual encounters outside of the sex industry. You know, and I think that this idea that we can't say no is, it's funny to me because I feel less empowered in my civilian life to say no in general than I do in a work setting. 
you know. Interesting. And I think that's the case for a lot of women, to be honest. We're changing that and I hope it continues to change. But I think that there is, you know, the pressure to be a yes man or a yes woman or a yes non-binary individual is really high and we want to please people and, you know, so, but that's a really complicated conversation and that has nothing to do with sex work. And this whole idea is, you know, it's really stigmatizing and it's why people think they can treat sex workers like shit mm. because they think that we can't say no. And it's really, really satisfying when we make it very yeah. clear that we can. It's a good feeling. Mm. Yeah, but I still get a lot of messages when I when I decline service with somebody or when I have turned somebody down based on their attitude in, in any way that they go, well, you're just a whore. You have to, mm. like, there's still that yep. that idea that, yeah, that you have to, they're shocked. They're like, what? No, mm. you're you're just a slut. You have mm. to, <laughs> I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be mm. nice. I don't have to be accommodating to your bullshit just because this is my job. That's yeah. such a weird take. Like, and it's okay. also just hilarious because I am just a whore. These are the facts. Uh, and you are somebody who can't even get a whore to fuck you. Like that's, yeah. if you want to, if you want to speak in facts, that's where we're at, buddy. Which, uh. Is a pretty good segue into our shit people say yeah. for the week. Last week, I received a message which got my panties in a twist <laughs> and not in the good way. It was, let's see, it was uh, about 10.30 at night. I received available. Hey, are you in Queanbeyan? So that's two separate messages. The first one was just available. Was there which, a question mark? Uh, yeah. Question mark? Yeah. And I think anyone who's ever listened to the podcast or had anything to do with sex workers knows that that is like one of the worst messages we can get straight up is, is hi, avail or available. It's just so you've given me nothing. Like, geez, absolutely nothing. And then I think he actually tried to call me a few times, which is all over my ads. Do not call me message only. And so that immediately is the first thing to annoy me. So I wrote back. And I said, what the fuck? Learn some manners. And he wrote back, what? And I said, available, question mark. And he said, well, fuck, what do you want me to ask? And I said, introduce yourself and use full sentences like you weren't raised by wolves. And he said, I'm looking for sex, not English class. And I wrote back, yeah, and look how well that's going. Yeah. And then I blocked him so he couldn't give me any more of his attitude. But, like, that's oh, that's the whole so point, mate. Good. Like like you said, yep. shit. I mean, you're looking for sex and you literally are failing at it. You're failing. All you have to do is say, hey, my name is X. Yes. Yep. I'd love to make a booking. Wondering when you're next available. That would have straight away, it would have been like, oh, honey, check my availability. I would have been nice at least, yep. but yeah, available. And I mean, well, fuck, what you want me to ask was never going to, it was never going to make me wet. So No. Well, this is the other thing. I've, I've seen people sort of comment whenever we've shared this kind of shit people say. I've seen people go, oh, you're all so sensitive and, oh, it's so easy to rile you up and, and all that sort of thing. And it's like uh, I think there's this misunderstanding of what's going on in these interactions because yeah. the moment he wrote available, he was screened out. From my perspective, yeah. I got that message. I'm not seeing that client. Hundred percent. So yeah. I'm not. And then upset it was just me like, taking the piss. I'm just fucking around yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah. You've already screened <laughs> yourself out. Then you try to call me a few yeah. times. There's no way I'm ever seeing yeah. you because you've just demonstrated a complete disregard for my boundaries. So obviously, I don't feel like being oh. naked in a room alone with you. Duh. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's funny that they just think that we have to accept anything. And yeah. then that if if somebody is rude to us, that we're so precious and it's it's like, oh, oh, who do you think you are? And it's like just a human being who wants some really basic yeah. respect and manners. That's all. Like, like the bar is so low. Yeah. All you have to do is be polite. I'm yep. not asking for much here, buddy. No. Anyway, I hope you found his sex and 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 courtesy, you know. I hope he worked it out along the way. That's it. You're helping as well. Like hopefully eventually he's like, oh. The real English class is the friends we made along the way. And yeah. to be clear, this is not a situation where there's any judgment about somebody whose knowledge of English isn't perfect. Oh, that's no. yeah, that's this not the case not, at all. This was not a, an English second language issue. This no. was courtesy. Yeah. yeah. 
our question of the week. Timmy asks, what trends go in and out of fashion in sex work? Are there things that clients are asking for now that they weren't a few years ago? This is a tricky one. I've I've definitely seen trends in who my clients are over the last few years. I don't think that's necessarily a trend in the industry as much as it's a reflection on me maybe and what I'm putting out there. Like lately I've had so many bookings from women, which is just fucking awesome. I don't know what I've been doing right, but anyway, go me. I don't know if that's a trend. It could be that more women are learning that it's something that they can do and blah, blah, blah. Or it could be just that I keep fucking telling everyone that I'd like to see women. (laughs) And so finally people are listening. I don't know. Over the, you know, over the pandemic, I think we all saw a lot of people that were really craving a bit more in terms of emotional support and intimacy and touch and cuddling, that sort of stuff. That's pretty obvious, I guess. Something that I've been surprised by over the last few years is how often somebody I've never met before will spank or go to choke me. Uh, oh, wow. And yeah. Okay. And like, I'm personally quite comfortable with both of those things. But the, but, sure, but the but, first meeting. Oh Ooh. my God. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I couldn't, I can't imagine being a man. And this, it has always been men who have Ooh. done this. Being a man, meeting a woman I've never met before, having lived through Me Too and being aware of, you know, a a physical difference in strength, and then getting on top of this woman, a marginalised member of society, and putting my hand on her neck and expecting her not to fucking flip out. Like, I think that that Mm. that baffles me. And I don't want to blame porn, but... I do have to wonder if there's an element where there is a lot of that stuff in porn. And as like I've got nothing against it. I quite enjoy it myself. But a complete stranger putting their hand around my neck is objectively terrifying. Like it really blows my mind that they would just feel so comfortable hitting or strangling a stranger. And as somebody who has engaged in that sort of stuff with my clients who have specifically asked for it, it's required a lot from me to be able to do it. You know, it it takes mm. a lot of work to to get yourself up to a point where you are comfortable inflicting harm on another human being, you know. So it really alarms me when people are just like, yeah, cool, I'll just give you a whack, you know, like, oh, just. Mm. So that might be one. I don't know. What about you? I feel like you've got better answers for this. In terms of... Uh... Sexual trends. I definitely notice that certain things go in and out of fashion. I think, and this is really the scope of when I've been sort of fully entrenched in sex work uh, in the last seven plus ish years. What I've really noticed was um, golden showers was a lot bigger about seven ish years ago. Yes. Every second person wanted to be, it was really, really in and it was very trendy and everyone wanted a golden shower. Um, that was really big. I still have quite a few golden shower clients now. It's not, it's definitely not a really taboo thing, but it's uh yeah, it was much more common a few years ago. Like I had it on my extras thing and it would every week I'd have a couple. It was really big for a while there. About two-ish years ago, I'd say that rimming was massive. I would say everyone wanted to do rimming. They wanted to be rimmed. Everyone asked about it. It was really trendy. Again, I think these things come a lot from porn, but that was that was a really big thing. And these days I've still got clients who are who are into it, but it's not, it's not as frequent. It's not like everyone who texts goes, Oh, do you do rimming as well? Mm. That became very, very common. Uh, in terms of what I find is is trendy at the moment. I don't think I've noticed anything post-pandemic except maybe a lot more cuddling. As you said, I feel like people at the moment are looking a lot more for cuddling bookings or spending a lot more of their sexual bookings, just wanting to have very long, intimate cuddles and um, and just to be held. So that's the the sort of things that go in and out of fashion uh, that I've noticed. I felt like pegging had a real heyday a few years ago as well. Yeah, yeah, maybe four-ish years ago, five-ish years Mm, ago for me. mm, That's when I first bought a strap-on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of requests for it then and now barely any. And I'm Mm, not huge on pegging anyway. I find it um, 
fucking it's hard physical work it's sweaty yeah <laughs> but yeah. uh you know i'm happy to to do anal things on my clients but yeah putting putting all that strap on <laughs> work in is is yeah it's hard work uh, but yeah, no, you're right. It was quite trendy about four or five years mm-hmm. ago, and I definitely don't get asked for it basically at all anymore. My strap on has not seen action, yeah, in a long time. But then I like it's really hard to know. Obviously, a sample size of one or even two, if we're comparing stories, is so small. Yeah. And right. I know that, like, when I used to be getting regularly reviewed by review forums, for instance, that was like somebody reviewed and said that I pegged them. And then every second inquiry after that was like, oh, my God, you do pegging. And then everyone wanted to be pegged by me, you know. And then uh, same with, like, rimming. People were like, oh, you do rimming. So let's all go see Jenna and, and get rimmed <laughs> or rim or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think, like, that's a part of it. And just lately I've noticed I've had heaps of, like, clients under the age of 30, which is kind of unusual mm. for me. And I've been like, where are all of these boys coming from? But is that is it something I'm doing in my marketing that's kind of hitting that market? Is it that a sign that sex work's kind of becoming a bit more acceptable and a bit more of an option for younger people to give a go rather than this thing that's reserved just for, you know, older guys? I don't know. Like it's it's really I think, you know, the more I've been just sort of shown in the media and stuff, the more I've been seen by couples and by younger people. And I get a lot of clients who have never seen a sex worker before and I get a lot of virgins. I never, ever, ever used to have that back in the day. Does that mean that more virgins or more people are are first timers coming to sex work or does it mean that my face is out there a bit more so I'm a bit more kind of um, approachable Mm. and and that sort of thing? Probably the latter. I've had a lot of virgins. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. Such an honour. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm into it. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's super hard for us to know, but I guess there are a few things that we've maybe noticed. And, I, like, to be clear, I don't think that either you or I have, like, a, a kink for deflowering people or anything like that, but it, it feels quite special that somebody would trust us with something that I mean, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but for them it obviously is a big deal if that's what they're, you know, they're going, I'm going to book a sex worker for this purpose. Um, so it yeah, feels lovely. it feels special that they that they yeah. yeah that they're trusting us with that. It's not that we're just like oh yeah, a bang diversion, like that's definitely not. <laughs> We'd like to thank our sexy patrons. Our new giving somebody is Charlie. Our new very generous somebody, David. Our even more generous somebodies, Lachlan, Timmy, Steve, our footstool. James E. Scott C., our secret admirer, Andrew Adam Smith, Leslie, Ellen, Sub-London, Scott Watson, Miss Billy, Nora Knightley, Andrew, Wheezy, Fritzia Tits, Mr. E., Brandon, Simon, Alfie, Skippy, Greenie, Ophelia Parker, Aaron, Emily, Cobber, Nomad, and Rhiannon Rhodes. And our extremely generous somebodies are Aaron, Pete, Andrew, Sienna Saint, Brino, Adam Moore, Wombat, Josh, and Sergio. Thanks for joining us this week. It's been fun listening to myself talk. I hope <laughs> you've also enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Please look out for us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. Our name everywhere is Somebody You Pod, as in podcast. Our Patreon starts at just $3 a month and you can get all of our episodes ad-free and a day early, plus bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes action, bloopers, and more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the voices of sex workers. And remember, somebody you love might just be a sex worker. 